The views and opinions expressed on Unlock Your Wealth Radio are those of the host, guests, and callers only and are not necessarily the views of Unlock Your Wealth Radio, Heather Wagonalls, or Success Publishing International. More willpower than a barefoot woman in a shoe sale. Able to stretch a single paycheck for an entire month. Makes money concepts easier than third grade math. Introducing your purveyor of prosperity, Heather Wagonhalls. Work all day, strength all night. Take your mind off your money and focus on your life. Money don't matter for the stupid part. It's the way you think, not what you got, yeah. Unlock Your Wealth Radio starts now. Yay! Welcome to the show, everyone. Unlock Your Wealth Radio is sponsored in part by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at forward slash free book and click on the link to over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Thanks so much for stopping by, everyone. I'm Heather Wagonhall, and we are broadcasting live from Freedom Fest right here at Planet Hollywood in Las Vegas, Nevada. And the maestro of Mulan, my Jerry, has the day off as he's going to the Diamondbacks ball game. So he's back in Phoenix, but in his bed, I have the esteemed Dr. Joel Wade, who will be joining us and co-hosting the whole show today. Joel, Dr. Joel, welcome to the show. Thanks, Heather. Great to be here. I'm so glad to have you. This is so much fun. We had quite an incredible week. I do not know why uh, my Facebook Live doesn't want to work, but I'm having trouble getting a uh, Facebook Live in. But that's okay, because we're on YouTube Live. Hey, everybody out there in Unlockable TV land. How are you? It's good to have you here. So we have an awesome show today, because not only are you co-hosting, but we get to talk about Freedom Fest. And it's kind of, you know, um, it's been an exciting week, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's a great um, I think that uh, between the Atlas Summer Summit, which I always love, and I actually got to participate in an even greater level this year, which I was mm-hmm. excited about, um, we also have Freedom Fest, and you have an upcoming talk as well as I do. Yeah. So uh, for those of you who are listening at home, we have some amazing features on today's show. Um, thank you so much, by the way, for stopping by. We're going to get your money mind right on today's show with these following great features. So first off, our Keys to Riches financial philosophy this week is uh, the dreams with deadlines, our key three. Uh, We also have our moolah word of the day, courtesy of Dr. Wade. And then uh, he will also be our esteemed guest because it's also that time again where we revisit our master's course of happiness. So we're going to talk about that in our next segment, which is, which is oh on, on the on the course? Yes, you just told oh, me to win. Oh, it, <laughs> it's on emotions and the stories that we write for okay. our lives. Yes, so that'll be super great. Yeah. Uh, so for those of you who are joining us for the first time, we're so glad to have you. Welcome to the broadcast. So uh, our keys to riches has now become its very own show. But this week's key is dreams with deadlines. Our third key in the keys to riches financial philosophy, and simply the keys to riches is a baker's dozen of financial concepts that teach you how to think like the rich and be in control of your own money. It also gives you uh, uh, specific techniques to create or fix your credit, eliminate debt, save and invest, building wealth while transforming your current financial habits into healthy money management skills. And we do this one week at a time, one key at a time. And Dreams with Deadlines, Joel, is an extremely important key because we first start off with um, acceptance and affirmation, which I was so fortunate to have Dr. Brandon talk about acceptance (laughs) as one of the pillars of self-esteem. And then we started to take action by making our um, going green assessment and we do an organic assessment. And so we watch our finances without watching them. So what we do is we stuff an envelope and we stuff it with receipts. We don't look at them. We don't catalog them. If we pay cash for something, if it's 50 cents, at uh, a vending machine, we create a receipt for it and stick it in there. Uh, if we are um, uh, giving allowance to our kids, running into the convenience store, we're taking receipts for every single thing because, you know, the old adage is, is if you mind your penny, the dollars will take care of themselves. Yep. So but we have to figure out, because we do money management different, and it's about a biology-based approach to it, we already know to spend less and save more, but we don't. And what we're looking for when we do this assessment isn't how much is going out or in what area. What we're looking for, and this is why we have to track it over a six-week period, is we're looking for the 
um, when things happen, because when we ask or when we answer when, we know why or what precipitated that particular expenditure. And then we can track the behavior that led up to it and correct the behavior that leads to the errant spending. Because it's not about how much, because economies of scale. You know, you will spend up to what you make and then more. And, you know, it, it's not about being broke because I have millionaires, professional athletes, and celebrities that I coach all the time. And they make plenty of money. Same issue. They'll have the same problem. So that's what we did last week on the show. So this week, it's Dreams with Deadlines. And, you know, the Keys to Riches has now become its own show, and that's broadcast on Monday. So you can pick that up on our channel, or it has its own Libsyn channel, but it's also on iTunes, uh, uh, Spreaker, Stitcher, um, iHeartMedia. We're all over. We're omnipotent on the Internet. <laughs> but essentially, this week's key is the exciting key, because this is about limitless possibilities. And this is about exploring what could be, but then creating a strategy by planning backwards. And reducing it to ridiculous. It's one of my favorite sales selling cycle terms mm-hmm. is that, you know, when something costs $10,000 and you want somebody to buy it, like I remember selling hot water heaters. Mm-hmm. And the guy said, they're not $10,000. Never tell people that on the phone. I'm like, well, what do I say? And he goes, it's 65 cents a day and they can have hot water. Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh, okay. Uh-huh. So, it, so my thought was if we could use this as a selling strategy, why can't we use this as a saving strategy? To help us manage our money better because, you know, you're more, instead of having to save $10,000, a lot of people don't have emergency funds. So like, I can't put away three months. Right. But I bet you can find 65 cents a day. You yep. can find it and make it a priority. So then we create like this no-fail system. And because it's not just a goal-setting strategy, because goal-setting, anybody can teach you that. This is the goal of achievement strategy because it partners with some of our other keys in the key services, like our practicing the three R's, which is review, rewrite, recommit that we get to at the end of the season. So, so this week's key is pretty exciting when we talk about setting goals because what we want to do is we want to create um, a sensory experience to it because we just don't want to have the goal. The toughest thing, I think, about goals in general, but especially um, financial goals, uh, is because uh, wealth is abstract. Would you agree? Well, I think what you're talking about is is similar to any big goal that you want to reach. Like when you see the Olympic skiers before they do their race, you don't see them up on the podium like this. They're not envisioning winning a gold medal. They're, they're going through the gate of their run, doing the specific tasks that it will take them. They know they want to get the gold medal if they can do that. But what they can do, what they can focus on is what they actually need to do, the steps that they need to do. And if you focus on those, then your chances of getting on that podium are much higher. And that's true of anything that we do. If we focus too much on the vision and sort of, you know, meditate on where we want to be and enjoy that, it actually takes away our motivation to get there. Because part of us feels like we're already there. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. that's the power of the brain is we can't really distinguish between a fantasy and a reality. Yeah. yeah, so part of us feels we're already there, and then we then we get look around and go, oh, I have all this work to do to get there. But I already felt like I was, oh, <laughs> well, it's kind of disheartening. And so you don't want to focus on the goal. You, of course, want to know what you want to do. I want to, you know, better financial stability or whatever you're aiming for. But then what you focus on is the steps to get there, just like you're talking about. You want to walk it back and go, okay, what do I need to do to get to that place? So, so uh, the skier is focusing on first, second, third, not end result. Yeah, they're, they're focusing on the specific steps to get there. And, and, and they know they want to win. If they can win, there's a lot of things that you don't have control of for that. What, how well the other skiers do. You know, what, all you can focus on is the moment and and as an athlete you know I, I play water polo and when i'm in a game if i'm thinking i want to win i want to win we can win we can win any moment i'm thinking that i'm not actually in the game and i'm less likely to win because my focus needs to be on what's actually happening right now and the steps i need to take now i know i want to win that that doesn't take much to establish that i know i want to win but then what do we want to do to get to that point what are the steps to get there? You know, you were on a while back, and I think it was one of the first times 
or one of the first couple of times we had, we talked about um, the uh, the fade of willpower and mm-hmm. discipline. So as as we think about these goals, we create the end result and then we plan backwards so we figure out okay, so where so when I'm halfway there, what does that look like? When I'm twenty five percent away there, and then just reduce it to the ridiculous based mm-hmm. on the time frame that we set it out. So I already know that I need to save sixty five cents a day. Yeah. All right, but there's a soda I like to have at work too. There's seventy five cents. Yeah. I mean maybe I can avoid it in the morning, but then by the afternoon, mm-hmm. like I'm so stressed out, my boss just chewed me a new one and mm-hmm. like, so well, how, do I, how do I get there? Okay. <laughs> well, the, the most effective way to get there is actually our, our feedback system in our own body. So the, the short-term, you know, sort of dopamine-driven uh, desire for the soda uh, is, is very short-term. It'll feel good, taste good right now. But then if you imagine how you're going to feel in your body afterwards, how will I feel, you know, 15 minutes after I've finished that soda. Well, I'll probably feel, you know, whatever the effects of it's sugar, you know, might not feel so good in my body, but I'll also feel disappointed that I hadn't saved that 65 cents. And then that gives you the, the more immediate, not abstract feedback to, you know, I don't think I'm going to have that soda now. If, so if you imagine that before you spend the money on the soda, then that kind of gets you more connected in a real way with the long-term goals. Long-term goals, the, the problem, the reason why we lose our long-term goals for the short-term fix is it's too abstract. So you want to make it a little more immediate. How am I going to feel an hour from now when I've blown it? Just for that little taste fix for a minute. It I'm makes not going to feel very good. Okay, I won't do it now. Yeah, I... Uh... And, and, I, and I knew that last night after we ate the last <laughs> of that cake. Because I, you know, well, I'm high with my huh? You know, and so my blood sugar was fine. I tested it. I'm like, well, we'll have a little cake. And then her and I sat and ate the rest of the cake. <laughs> and, and I thought about, I'm going to feel hungover, even though I didn't have anything to drink. Because that's what, when my blood sugar yeah. drips, mm-hmm. it feels like a hangover the next day. And I'm like, oh, we're going to do this show. Yeah. But I was like, oh, we'll be fine. It's just a couple bites. And then we started giggling and laughing. <laughs> and then yeah. what was that? I was like, she passed out, and I'm like, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, then I just dropped. Like uh, I couldn't even focus on packing up all the rest of the yeah. stuff. And I had all this stuff, and I thought well, that was an ineffective decision. Yeah. And I went for that short-term gratification. Yeah. And I was just like one bite. Yeah. You know. And I think of, um, I, you made me think of a quote as, as you were sharing, and I don't know, I don't remember who said it, but they said that that we don't ever give up on our big dreams and our long-term goals. We just trade them for the short-term gratification. Yeah, yeah. Because our, our, our brains release dopamine along the pathways that we've taught our brains to, to do it. So if, if we've taught our brain, you know, I really want that soda, that soda really makes me feel good, then our brain goes, well, okay, I, I will guide you towards that soda every day. And that's what habits are made of, for better or worse. We can have good habits that are, that are designed that way. Yeah, the brain so, doesn't distinguish yeah. that. Yeah. So when I when I think soda, yeah, I gotta go drink it. Yeah. So uh, one thing to remember is that we're not, you know, we're not a prisoner to the past habits we've designed our brain to do. We our brain, that part of our brain isn't all of us. We also have our conscious awareness and our decision making ability to choose. You know, this is where probability wants to take me, but I get to make a different decision if I want. And the more you then we start training our brains, go this way instead. And then that's when it gets easier and easier and easier. And then who, who needs a soda? Right. Yeah. And that's <laughs> well, I, I think I had my fill of cake for quite a while. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> who needs cake? Yeah. So remember, yeah, I mean, the key is remember how yucky that feels. And okay. then the next time, you know. Well, and I was good when we were down here. Mm-hmm. We talk about willpower waning. Yeah. I was good. You know, everybody's coming to visit. Yeah. I was strong, and you know, plus I didn't want to be messy. Like yeah. I had this other thing that was more important. I didn't want to have frosting on my face while uh-huh. I'm talking to people. Yeah. So I had these other issues that that kept me from eating it. But then, you know, it was late in the day. Eight bazillion things didn't happen by that time. Mm-hmm. We're already drained from all of the excitement and things like that. Yeah. And so it just the spoon fell in my mouth, and there was cake on it. I was <laughs> yeah. Before it was yeah. done. 
bad. Well, that's when that's when our willpower. I mean, once we've made a ton of decisions throughout the day, our willpower does wane, and that's when we're most susceptible to these kind of things. And so, but just knowing that, we can sort of, you know, be prepared for that. And 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 that's that's a testament to to humanity because I know better, mm-hmm. and I still made the mistake. Yeah. You know. Yeah, we so, all do. So so it's not about never making mistakes. No. It's meaning and the message of the day can let go of the guilt and just say, I have new information and I can move forward and make a better decision next time. Well, and the other thing is if you can know how to get back on track, because you know that'll happen again sometime. Yeah. It's just, it, it'll happen again. We're, we're human. And so if you have a plan for how to get back on track, then it's not such a big deal. Oh, whoops, I got off track. I, this is what I do to get back on track. So if, if you can sort of anticipate where, what will throw you off on your way, because things will throw you off. We, we always think our plans, we make a plan, okay, that's what's going to happen. But there's always things that come up that throw us off. If you can make a plan for how to get back on track when those things throw you off, then you're much more likely to just pop right back on track. If you don't, then it can, you can feel like, oh, I blew it back to square one. Ah, this big burden of re, you know, planning I'm everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. We, we lose hope. Like yeah. That. Yeah. We do. And then that's when people give up on, on their goal. They go, oh, well, well, that didn't go well. But if you know you're going to get thrown off uh, and you don't expect things to go perfectly, then you can plan for how to get back on track. That, that's why I think that the, our, our, uh, our 12 key practicing in three R's is such a critical piece. So we review, mm-hmm. we evaluate, we do a post-event evaluation of whatever's happened, and then we revise mm-hmm. the choice that we made by creating an, an election to make a different choice next mm-hmm. time, and then we kind of mentally rehearse it and then recommit to it. Yeah. yeah. And, and so it's that recommitment that makes it all better. Yeah. In, in, in my mind, because, so yeah, okay, so I made a mistake, mm-hmm. but it's, it's a journey, not a race. Mm-hmm. And so I, I got to get back in the saddle, get back up on the horse. Yep. Yep. And sometimes you find, you know, I don't want to recommit to that. To that. I want to, there's something, I've learned something and I've decided to, I, there's a, there's a better path I want to take at that point. Well, and, and that's the beauty about goal setting that makes it so valuable. And that's why this, today's key goes in, hand in hand so well with review, revise, and recommit. Because in that review phase, you know, we take a look at the past. We do a forensic evaluation, if you will. And so we look at all of the things that we, all of the choices we made financially, all of the income opportunities we seized or, or passed mm-hmm. on for whatever reason. And then we have to ask ourselves also, what new information do I have mm-hmm. um, that I may need to revise my current strategy? Yeah. Um, you know, maybe we earned all of the money that we wanted to for this particular goal. Let's say we wanted, like, you know, I don't know, like a, a, a new toy or a motorcycle or computer or gadget or whatever. But once we had the money, it wasn't as exciting to us yeah. any longer. So it's okay to not fulfill that. I mean, celebration is important. And goal achievement and recognition of it and basking in that for that moment yeah. is critical, I feel. But but it's okay to say, but you know what? I, I decided I don't want that anymore, and that's okay, too. And a lot yeah. of people uh, feel like obligated because they made a goal they have to see it through mm. the goal wasn't getting the stuff it was being able to afford to get the stuff and you did achieve that part of the goal but new information for us can be stuff that's outside of our control like all of a sudden we have the death of an income producing mouse we have a special needs child we have to take on the care of an indigent parent a myriad of things can yeah. go on and uh so that will allow us in that revised step to not um, still have to focus on, well, oh, holy cow, I've got to manage this. And I set this goal and it has to be done by, you know, the end of the year. Right. We can say, is this goal even still valid for me at this point? And if it is, you can push it out a little further and yep. give yourself more time to accomplish it exactly. and, and, and not be stuck in that, oh, my gosh, freak out mode. How do I manage both of these things? Um, thinking that you have to manage them at, at this current expectation. If one requires more resources now, then you got to do that, and you can still have what you want. You just have, need to create a better plan for it. And that's, I think, where diets fail, where budgets fail, is because we focus so much on what we're leaving out or what we're avoiding 
that we don't create a new strategy when stuff, you know, you know, tra- tragedy or, or elation, the, you know, advert, well, can I, still have a financial effect. And I think both uh, financial goals and dieting and stuff, they're, they're not just something you do for a short term. And that's the problem with why most diets, almost all diets fail, is because people do it for a month or three months or six months, and then, oh, I'm done. And, and then, you know, that's not, and then you gain a bunch of weight and then our body goes, oh, we're in a, we're in a famine. We've got to make sure we don't lose this weight next time. And it, there's a whole physiological system that kicks in. So it's really about a change in lifestyle. Right. So, uh, you know, if you want to change your diet, you want to think, okay, what kind of lifestyle do I want to have? You know, and then, then you can get used to, instead of eating a lot of sugar and fat, to vegetables, you know, eating a lot of vegetables, and, and you get used to vegetables and you start liking vegetables, and then then you have that as your new lifestyle, and that's what makes the difference, and same with, you know, financially, you want to think, okay, well, what's really important to me? What are, you know, do I want to blow my money here and there, or do I, are there things that I really value, and what do I want to aim for in my life, and, and think of it as a long-term lifestyle and then, then it kicks in, then it can find places of meaning and places of habits in our systems that can really uh, be up for that challenge. You know, you just said, you, you made a really good point in it. And, and as I was listening to you, I went right back to Patrick and Jim Tampa's mm-hmm. presentation. And do you remember when um, he was talking about when you get the values right in yeah. his prosperity pyramid, mm-hmm. um, when you get the values right and you're focusing on the philosophy and the values, that the other stuff kind of falls in place with yeah. the effect. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> so yeah. I, I think that's a really great Yeah, point. and it's the congruence. It's the, the, you know, the amount of contradiction that you live with detracts from everything that you do. So if you're, if you're trying to do go one way and then part of you is wanting to go the other way, you know, whether it's a, a rotten belief or something you have maybe you think well money is the root of all evil and i want to make a lot of it well that's going to take you in two different directions because who wants to be evil well nobody but and same time you want to make it so if that's a premise you have that's going to interfere with everything it's going to it's going to sabotage your every move to make you more money so you have to look at that and think well do i really believe that is you know and, and really question that and then you can get more in alignment with your values and you, you can adjust that and, and then if you can come around to well you know, actually money is, a, is a, a very benevolent thing you know making money is is a sign of creating value and value is is what creates a whole win-win benevolent cycle and that's a good thing if i'm not just thinking of it as stacks of paper or coins or something if i'm thinking of it as the creation of value then that's that's a, and then you can begin to see that that's a real good thing for everybody concerned, then you can be in alignment with making a whole bunch of money. Then, then if your efforts make a whole bunch of money, you can sort of bask in that and enjoy that and feel the integrity of that. Then you're on your way. Right. And, and, and the more you create, the more you can create. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's, I think it's, it's a, a multiplier. The prosperity is like a multiplier mm-hmm. to, to creation of yeah. everything. Yeah. You know, ideas, inventions, mm-hmm. you know, it's just not, like, like Kim Carter says, it's, wealth is more than money. Yeah, right. yeah. Well, it's really, you know, the, the whole pie analogy that people use a lot is, is such baloney, because wealth is really a creative process. You know, it's like love. It's like relationships. You don't just, uh, you know, I didn't love my wife less when we had our daughter. I loved her, if anything, more. But I also loved my daughter a whole lot. And then when we had our son, I didn't love my wife and my daughter less. I loved them even more. And I loved, also had all this love for myself. Wealth is like that. I mean, it may sound kind of hokey to some people, but it's really a similar kind of process. It's a creative process. It's an expansive creative process that builds when, you, when you're viewing it as a benevolent, creative, value-producing process and not just stacked. You know, some people have more than other people. That's just a, a bad premise, I think. Oh, and 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 and, and I uh, 
I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Um, I think that that's why I'm so drawn to objectivism. Mm. You know, because it's, it's about values aligned. Mm -hmm. um, and it's about um, living in, in with reality, with integrity. Mm -hmm. well, yeah. That's what I right. Yeah. Well, um, that's and benevolence. It. value of benevolence because we have this give back guilt mentality instead of pay it forward spread the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and and it just it's not it's more than words. Yeah. I think people think, oh yeah. well, that's just words. This is a fancy fancy way to think it. No, yeah. the words mean things to the extent we get the meaning. Yeah. Well there's there's some important things I could say about giving back if if we have time. Yes, but you know what I want to do mm -hmm. real quick though is that let's go to our um, Moolah word of the day first, but you are listening to Unlock Your Wealth Radio. This part is sponsored um, by Audible.com. Get a free audio book download at unlockyourwealthradio.com forward slash free book and click on the link to over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. <laughs> we have thousands that off. That's great. <laughs> we have a cash register cow. <laughs> So it's our moolah word of the day, and uh, Dr. Joel is going to be bringing us our moolah word. So what is today's word? Today's word is empathy, the ability to understand and share the feelings of another person. So when we think about empathy, how does that relate to wealth? Well, um, I would actually broaden that to not just understanding and sharing another person's feelings, but understanding another person's internal experience to some degree. Our internal experiences are so incredibly different. It's hard to even fathom it. But the more we seek to understand what's going on within the other person that we're, we're dealing with, uh, the more, you know, the better the relationship, the, the more good can come of that. And, you know, a lot of wealth creation has to do with relationships. It's, it's, it's about when you're trading something, when you're trading value for value with another person, so much of that relationship is based on trust. You know, if, 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 is this, if I have a product and you want to trade me money for it, that you've made the way that you make your money, you want to trust that this product is going to do what it, what it claims it's going to do or this service. You know, if somebody comes to me for, for life coaching, they have to trust that they're going to get something of value from me. And, and it's without that trust, you really don't have that kind of win-win benevolent cycle, that, that, that circuit that, that, that creates more and more value and wealth. And, and so empathy, I think, actually, I think empathy probably began and really blossomed with the beginning of trade about 80,000 years ago. And I mean, before, before 80,000 years ago, there was one stone tool about the size of a computer mouse for a million years. That was the extent of human innovation. And then all of a sudden there were these beads found in the middle of Africa. They were shells that were been painted with holes drilled in them. So somehow, People got the idea, we can trade these shells for other things. And that's how they migrated hundreds of miles to the middle of Africa, far, far away from the shore. And with the beginning of trade, you have the beginning of the need to wonder, what, what might this other person want? What might they like? What, what, how can I communicate with these other people that are different from me? Uh, you know, how can I... Uh, how can I begin a conversation in a way that's not offensive? That, that's, and so there's all these um, different factors that all of a sudden are put in the mix besides, oh, you look different, I need to kill you, which was most of human history. <laughs> well, yeah, because cause we couldn't connect because we didn't have empathy. If you yeah. didn't look like us or sound yeah. like us or do what we do, yeah. so, you're the enemy. Yeah, so trade, which is the, the, the beginning of the creation of wealth, is really part of what has made us human. And so empathy is part of the cycle of creating value and generating wealth. It's a, it's a huge part of it that I think a lot of people miss. They're, they're, especially if you're focused on the dollars and not paying attention to what it is that you're creating. 
what it is that you're offering that's so valuable. And, and uh, which, by the way, the whole giving back idea, there's two parts to that. One of it, one is the emotional giving back. So if I've been, if somebody's been good to me and, or, or supported me or cheered me on or, or, you know, been, if I've gotten good stuff from people, it's natural for me to want to pass that along to others. If somebody's kind to me, it creates a benevolent cycle and I want to be kind to other people. And that kind of giving back is very natural, very human, very, very, you know, it's a excellent, brings out the best in people. The idea that because I've, I've generated wealth through what I've created, that I'm obligated to give it back. That definition of it is really a mistake because if I've generated wealth, I've already given the, 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 value has happened in the exchange. And so the idea that, okay, so I've generated all this value in this exchange and now I'm obligated to give my money to somebody else because it implies that I've taken that. Right. And I think that's a mistake. I, I'm now I'm for being generous with people, of course, but I think there's two parts to that that need to be separated out. Yeah, I like the way you represent that. I'm thinking of Pink reared in on trial uh -huh. and Alice Shrek. Yeah. He said when, when they said, you know, about the whole making money thing, he says, I'm trading my best efforts for the best efforts of others. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's where the And that's when trade should be celebrated, I think. Yeah, absolutely. But the thing is why people get into that mindset I think is some people go into business thinking, Okay, I'm gonna do whatever it takes to make money and they do a bunch of unethical things and they lie and they you know, they do shady things to make the money. And then the idea is that, okay, now I've made money. Now I'm going to put it all in a foundation. I'm going to, I'm going to give it back. The problem is if you spent your whole life practicing doing underhanded, sneaky, you know, deceptive things, you're not going to all of a sudden know how to do it in, a, in, a, in an ethical way. And so your charitable stuff is going to also be unethical. How you, what you bring to your charities, and there's a, a fellow – Oh, I'm not remembering the name of the book. He, he, he studied a, a whole lot of entrepreneurs, and some who, you know, were very ethical and some who were not. And he found this pattern where when the idea is I'm going to make money at all costs, then the things they do afterwards to, quote, quote, help people end up hurting people. And whereas if you just live your life, with kindness and benevolence and, and achievement and creating value and, and ethically, then when you want to be kind and generous to somebody, you're going to express that ethically as well because that's what you practice in your life. We get good at what we practice and we do what we practice. So. That, and that's the beauty of behavior mm -hmm. is that if we're not in alignment, we can write the shit. Uh, the brain is malleable, and yeah. we're always able to mm -hmm. continually retrain ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, something that we need to focus on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you are listening to Unlock Your Wealth Radio and the ever popular Dr. Joel Wade. And by the way, Michael, you're fired for the Lula word of the day because Joel gave such a great, <laughs> better explanation. <laughs> we could keep you on for the other part, but I'm taking back Lula word. <laughs> I, I gave it to him and asked him we're taking it back you can be our Mulo word guest now okay. uh, so uh, anyway this segment of Unlock Your Wealth Radio is sponsored in part by KeepMyID.org the only service that actually prevents identity theft all others are just monitoring services put your credit on lockdown right now with our special offer for Unlock Your Wealth Radio listeners go to unlockyourwealthradio.com forward slash KeepMyID and click on the link to start protecting your financial future right now. Remember to use promo code WAG. So I'm so excited here. I'm so excited. Uh, <laughs> I'm not used to running the board. I have Michael do this. So I have to remember, oh, the sound effects are up to me. Yeah. i got to make those happen. Uh, so um, it's more time uh, to return for our master's course in happiness. And so this month, um, we're focusing on emotion, mm -hmm. 
and what was the other piece? Emotions and the stories that we create the about that our lives. Create. So um, as we are in pursuit of mastering happiness, what does this um, segment bring? Well, emotions are a, they're a big issue because they're, they're very um, misunderstood critters. Um, and, and so they're, they're, they can be very powerful. I mean, some of us by temperament have very strong emotions. Others of us have, you know, emotions that aren't so strong and, and it, we're, we don't feel as affected by them. But emotions still, they, they create the sense of meaning in our life. They, uh, they're very important to what makes us tick. Um, but you can have a philosophy of emotions that, that really can wreak havoc. So I, I used to be involved with uh, more emotional release kind of uh, uh, therapy work. Not Feldenkrais. That's more a movement, and that's not about emotional release, but, but Reiki and okay. uh, kind of therapy. And uh, one of the things that was, came out of that during the 60s, 70s, well, into the 80s, was the idea of really venting, getting your emotions out. You need to, you know, if you're angry, you need to get the anger out. You need to hit a pillow and yell. And, and the, the problem with that is what, what we found with research since then is that when you practice getting angry, you get really good at getting angry. When you practice venting, letting your anger out, you end up wanting to let your anger out all the time. And so it's created a lot of trouble for a lot of people. Um, and really, uh, it's not this dichotomy between repressing your emotions or releasing your emotions. You can, you can have your emotions, feel your emotions, honor your emotions, and then decide what to do with them. So one of the things I, I often uh, talk with people about is when, when they have an emotion that's troubling, they're, they're, they, have, you know, they feel really angry or they feel really scared or, or, or hurt, and they, they're not quite sure what to do with themselves, if they can, if we can imagine it kind of like a wild animal walking through our yard, like there's a, we have raccoons where we live. And, and if I can just kind of, yeah, if, if I can just kind of watch it meander through, I don't have to chase it away and I don't have to, you know, I don't want to go feed it kibbles either because that'll bring <laughs> it back. Um, but just watch it, just watch it meander through and it'll make its way out of the yard eventually. But if, if you can think of your emotions that way, then you can have your emotions. You can, you can take the information. Hmm, I'm feeling angry right now. What's going on? Probably somebody is there. I'm feeling like somebody's trespassing. What a great word. Yeah. Anger is generally a response to trespass. But it's also a response to having been trespassed. So, in other words, let's say I'm somewhere and, say, a pushy salesman is on, on their way over towards me. And I sense that, and I say something just in a friendly way, no, sorry, I'm not interested, and I move along. I'm not going to feel angry. I'm just going to feel like I did, there was something I needed to do, and I did it, and I'm on my way. So there's this feeling of just sort of satisfaction, like I did anything well. But if, if I allow that pushy salesman to engage me and, and you know, talk to me too much, or maybe I buy something I didn't want to, then I'll feel angry because that line, I allowed that line to be crossed. And, and so, okay. So then I can have that feeling and I could go hit a pillow and yell or, or whatever to get the feeling out, but it's not going to do anything with it. The, the lesson there is, Hmm, why am I angry? I, I let myself get taken advantage of. Okay. What might've, then, then you go to problem solving. What might have I have done differently? Okay, I could have just said no, thank you, and moved along, purposefully, so so they'll leave me alone. So then you can use your the information or your emotions to solve the problem. And and uh, and then there's times just to feel emotions. If there's a if you have a loss or something hurts or something, it's okay to just feel it for a while. You can feel sad. Or, or if something is, is scary for you, it's okay to feel the fear, but if you can see it also like this wild animal, that can give you enough emotional 
distance that you can still function. So you can look at you it. You can look at it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just kind of a simple way to get to a place of more mindfulness. Oh, well, I like that explanation. Yeah. I think that, that that really makes sense. So, um, would you say that uh, it's healthy for us to acknowledge all of our emotions, mm -hmm. um, but our power lies in our ability to respond to them? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Our emotions are information. They're like they're like perceptions. They they tell us something, but they're not guides. They're not infallible guides. I I, I know people that their emotions that way and they, they feel they have to express everything that comes to their mind if they have a feeling they have to say I'm really angry right now no matter where they are and it's it's not functional it doesn't it doesn't help them to function and the truth is we have thoughts and things that that ebb and flow in us and the causes are not necessarily really crystal clear and so you don't have to grab hold of every thought and every feeling and, and understand it in depth. If there's a pattern, then you want to pay attention to that. Or if there's a real strong feeling, you want to pay attention to that. If you're walking down the street and you have a, a feeling, a creepy feeling, or you're feeling like there's danger, you want to pay attention to that and, and look around and, and see if there's a threat and, you know, walk purposefully and get to where you want to go. So, um, but you don't want to walk around scared all the time because that can overwhelm your your system and, and make it so you're not you're not able to sense the subtle differences in the world. Yeah, with the Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, a, a great book, The Gift of Fear, by uh, Gavin De Becker, and he talks about this. He works with people around around threats from predators. And uh, when people are too scared all the time, they're not, they're not sensing the subtle cues that there actually might be danger, because they're thinking there's danger all the time, and they're actually setting themselves up for more trouble. Um, so our emotions are real valuable. They're our emotions. So we get to their tools. They're, they're, things, they're parts of our conscious awareness to master, not just to follow blindly. Well, yeah, I think about that, um, and, and I think precisely of that that movement in the 70s. I remember when I was younger, and you know, my mom was kind of crazy mm -hmm. out there. And she had this idea. She, she, I saw it, she made one. It's mm -hmm. my mom's clothes, whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, bless her heart, she was just trying to raise two children by herself. Uh -huh. uh, but, you know, some of her ideas, I mean, she certainly wasn't in the psychology field. She had no idea how to manage or whatever, but I remember she came up with this thing called the frustration doll. And she like uh, made this doll. She used to make our doll like rag and, and yeah. And so she made this doll and she called it a frustration doll and she wanted to sell it to doctors and psychiatrists and psychologists uh, so people could go beat up these dolls. Yeah. And it, it wasn't a good idea. Yeah. Um, just from, you know, like, because uh, the expression of violence is a problem. Yeah. I mean, it's okay to be angry, but yeah. it's not necessarily okay to act on not yeah. angry if it's going to affect other people. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> well, that's part of what's made us civilized. Is I mean, we used to get angry and kill each other. Uh, I mean, the, the, the rate of violent death, the, the odds of dying a violent death in primitive times was, in some places, 60%. 60, you know, more than half. You're more likely to die a violent death than not, you know, right. in some places. And, and, and the right. average is about 15%. And, and it's really good that we've culturally evolved from that, you know, that as a culture, we've, we've learned, you know, it's not good to express our, our anger that way. We can be angry, but we can say, you know, that really, that really bothered me what you did, or that really upset me what you did. Can you not do that again? That's much more effective nowadays. And it's really good that it's, you know, we don't have to get each other over the head. That's a pro that's real progress. I have a, question for you because I think all the emotions, most of them are experienced but anger is the one that can be expressed externally to the detriment of others. So if you're a person that uh, has challenges with anger, mm -hmm. and I hate to use the term anger management, mm -hmm. but, but what are some resources or, or a short little you know, two, three, four step strategy 
to acknowledging that emotion and, and kind of valuing it as, as information. And then how do we, how can we respond effectively to mitigate it? Because we're going to get those hormones up yeah. in our system that triggers yeah. that that fight flight response. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's going to happen. Yeah. So how, how do we mitigate all of that? Okay. So first of all, it's important to know that it's not, it's not good. Venting's not good for you. And it's not good for the people around. It's not. It's not a good thing to practice. It can feel like it. It can feel like, oh, I just got let this so and so know what I. But venting is not useful. It's important just to know that as a philosophy, as a as a premise. It's also important to know that we can change our neural pathways in our brain. So it's possible to to be a person that has felt a lot of anger. And to become a person that has mastered their anger. And so anger doesn't have to be a ruling force. It's important to know that we're capable of doing that. And, and then, then the, the process becomes recognizing the senses in your body, the sensations in your body. When you get angry, what happens? And, and if you can practice to the point where you can notice what happens right before you get angry. If you can catch yourself starting to get angry, that's the place where you can really grab hold of it and go, wait a minute, I'm going to steer it in a different direction. Or what do I need to understand here? What do I need to take care of right now before I, I feel like blowing up? And that's really the mastery right there. If you can, if you can begin to notice what happens before, because most anger comes from some kind of action that's thwarted, that, like the, the pushy salesman coming over. Well, by saying no thank you and moving on purposefully, I've, I've done the action that was necessary to protect myself. If I'm walking down a, a, a street and I sense danger over here and I make my way across the street to safety, I don't have to feel angry at these people invading my space because they're not. I've done the action that was needed. So paying attention to the, the physical sensations right before you get angry will connect you to the place where you can actually be effective in your actions. And so that's the place you want to get to. So is anger um, considered a short-term emotion? I mean, just what if we harbor anger towards somebody over time? Mm -hmm. that because, does it change to resentment or something else? Or is it still yeah. anger? When we're, when we're angry with somebody over time, maybe there's something we need to say or do to, that's not, you know, that's not taken care of. Maybe we're allowing some interaction to continually happen that continues to make me angry. But usually it has more to do with holding on to the anger as a thing. But our emotions aren't things. There isn't a, a substance called anger that we have in our body that we need to get rid of or do something. Anger is really, it's a, it's a reaction to trespass. And so if I, can, if I can pay attention to when do I get triggered for anger, maybe there's certain people that, are hurt, that tend to hurt me a lot. Well, maybe I don't need those people in my life. Or maybe I need to talk to them when I'm not angry and see if we can make a different arrangement. Because the, the truth is, once we get angry, our our Probably our heart rate is going up above 100 beats per minute. When our heart rate goes up above 100 beats per minute, our higher brain functions are not accessible to us. So basically, whatever we do, if we get in a heated argument, waste of time. Because all we're doing is venting. There's, you're not problem solving when you're over 100 beats per minute. And the, uh, John and Julie Gottman do some of the best couples work. Um, Sometimes, uh, often, they'll have uh, a heart rate monitor oh, with their, with their really clients. Oh, that's really cool. And, if, if, and it'll beep if they go up, and then they say, okay, stop. And they, they have their clients practice calming. This what I do this. I, I do all my work by phone and Skype, so I put a, a uh, monitor. But I have my clients pay attention. Yeah, but, but I do have them pay attention to it because it's easy to find your pulse. And... Uh, you don't want to get into that that escalation because nothing good comes of that. Nothing good. You just end up feeling 
drained and hurt and you hurt each other and it's, it's not useful. So that's one of the things is if, if, if anger is an issue for you, understanding that venting is not, it's not a good option. And then part of it is deciding, okay, I'm, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go into venting anymore and I'm going to master this. Once you make okay, I'm going to master this, then that's, that's the biggest step. And then there's plenty of tools available. And I, I work with people with that all the time. And, and there's other people that work with that. And there's lots of good material about it. But first you have to decide, you know, I'm not going to do this anymore. But that's exciting because a lot of people lose hope. Mm-hmm. Especially when you get in that perpetual hate or anger cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, mean, I, I know that there were some periods in my life where... Dr. Joel Wade on Unlock Your Wealth Radio. This segment is sponsored in part by KeepMyID.org, the only service that actually prevents identity theft. All others are just monitoring services. Put your credit on lockdown with their special offer for Unlock Your Wealth Radio listeners. Just visit our website at unlockyourwealthradio.com forward slash KeepMyID and click on the link to start protecting your identity and financial future right now. Remember to use promo code WAG. So as we, I can't believe the time has flown by. <laughs> we have eight minutes left. And oh. I'm like, oh, I forgot my heartbreak. And so, um, so this has been powerful. I mean, and that's why I, just, I so enjoy basking in your presence. You have amazing energy. I hope people are enjoying the live show even more because we're physically together in the same space. So, it, so you know, as we sum it up, because we went off, I took us off on a tangent, as I mm-hmm. love it. I took us off on the anger tangent. Um, but, you know, I think that that's an emotion that so many people can't get around. And, yeah. it, and it can have more dire consequences. Yeah. Like, right? So that's why I just wanted to go there. Yeah. But as we think about our next uh, segment in our uh, Master's Sports of Happiness, um, where do we want to be with our emotions? What's the, the, the goal or the strategy that we're trying to come up with by adding this tool to our happiness toolbox? Well, Understanding and, and mastering our emotions is, is really crucial to living a, a successful, happy life because it's, it's where we hold it's the meaning of our lives. I mean, if we didn't have emotions, nothing would matter. You know, who, who cares? <laughs> I don't feel anything. So our emotions, are, are uh, they let us know when, when we care about somebody when uh, something matters to us, when, when we don't like something, when we really like something. And so, um, but they're not all-knowing guides either. They, they don't exist themselves uh, in a vacuum to show us the way. They're part of our integrity as a, as a living being, as a living conscious being. And so it's really something that we have to, we have to integrate our emotions, pay attention to our emotions, notice when we get triggered to get angry or, or scared or, or when we feel hurt, 
and and pay attention to that and integrate that. It's you know it's a it's a continual life is a continual integration of experience, and uh, you know reason is the non non contradictory integration of experience, right? So that so so it um, living a happy successful life is about integrating all of our experience, our emotions, our relationships, our experiences, our our you know ambitions, our our you know our dreams, our visions, our, our you know, everything. It's a matter of integrating all of that as as honestly and and effectively as we can. Well, this this makes me want to go and hop into this lecture after or, or this section of the course after Freedom Fest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I need a break. Yeah. I've been on sensory overload, and uh, cool. I, I think that this will have great value. Um, in addition to our website with our big fancy bar for folks that are excited and want to participate in the master's course on happiness, or find you for uh, well, I have I have uh, my website is uh, drjoelwade.com, drjoelwade.com, and I have uh, lots of stuff. If you sign up there with your uh, with your email address, you get free learning optimism course. I enjoy that by the way. Yeah, I'm up for it. And, and I have a lot of information there, a lot of good tools to use. And then, of course, I have products like my master's course in happiness and my book, Mastering Happiness, and, and some other things that you can find there. And also, I'm available as a, a life coach. I work with people all over the world uh, through phone and Skype, and uh, and I love doing it. So. Yes, and oh, what's the title of your talk? Uh, today, my talk is How the Skills of Happiness Can Lead to a Kinder, More Virtuous World. Because, you know, kind of like we're talking about today, integrating our and mastering our emotions and our expressions and our actions, that's virtuous. I mean, we've come a long way since just, you know, I I get angry, so I I kill you, you know, back in primitive times, or you look different, so I kill you. We've come a long ways as a culture, and we're winning. I mean, the, the goodness in human nature is winning in a, in a landslide, right? Uh, I mean, the, the improvements in, in uh, the decrease in violence, the increase in empathy and abstract reasoning is just phenomenal. It's miraculous. It's, it's, it's more miraculous than the technological innovation, you know, the, the incredible technological innovations that have happened in our lifetimes. So, um, that's all an expression of what we've always considered virtues, things like courage and kindness and, and achievement and, and uh, empathy and uh, compassion. All these things lead to a happier life, and leading a happier life is you know, very much related with living a virtuous life. And virtuous, I don't mean by some external moral standard that, that somebody imposes on us. I mean finding the goodness within yourself and look for the goodness within other people. And that creates a virtuous cycle. Well, thank you so much for being a part of today's show, and I look forward to your presentation this afternoon. I'm so, and we're getting all of our outro cues here. Uh, you have been listening to Unlock Your Wealth Radio. For more information and Joel's resources, if you're driving around, never fear. UnlockYourWealthRadio.com is here. Uh, if you don't have a pencil to take down his information, because we have on our show page all of the links to Dr. Joel Wade's course in Mastering Happiness or his personal website where you can reach him if you're interested in professional coaching. And uh, thank you so much for stopping by. And uh, we have so many great more interviews. If you just visit the website for more tools, tips, and resources to help you get your money mind right. And I just want to thank you so much for co-hosting. It's a big job, and you filled the shoes. Thank you. you exceeded my expectations, <laughs> so I'm excited about that. And, uh, again, thank you so much for stopping by. Uh, for the maestro of Jerry in his absence, I'm Heather Wagonhalls. Now go out and unlock your wealth today. We out.